Hello and welcome to the ALC Pan-African Radio's Talking Africa program. Talking Africa provides in-depth interviews with experts and other actors in the field of peace and security in Africa. Hello, I'm Desmond Davis. My guest today is Dr. Moses Tofa, Senior Research Associate at the African Leadership Center in Nairobi, where he leads the research agenda on peace, security and the state in Africa. Today we will be discussing the state of the conflict in the Democratic Republic of Congo and the regional aspect of all this. Uh, Moses, uh, the eastern region of uh, the DRC and North Kivu province, uh, things are not looking good there. Why is that? Thank you, Desmond. Uh, as you may know that there are more than 130 armed groups that are fighting in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And they are fighting for various reasons. And there are accusations um, among countries within the region with allegations that there are some countries that are supporting some of those uh, groups in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So the situation in Eastern DRC has been deteriorating. These groups have been fighting, especially against government forces. And in the process, they have killed hundreds of thousands of civilians. Hundreds of thousands of civilians have been displaced. So this has caused a severe humanitarian crisis in the region. And this fighting continues to take place with no end in sight. So the situation in Eastern DRC continues to be a major peace and security concern, not only in the Democratic Republic of Congo, but in the region as a whole. Yeah, but, but, but this is quite serious. If you have 130 armed groups uh, operating in, in, in the Eastern DRC, how do they operate in the first place? Do they fight each other? Do they fight the government? Do they form alliances? It's very, very strange to have that many groups in that region just fighting. Yes, so these groups are fighting for different reasons. For example, if you look at the um, allied democratic forces. Yes. Yes, these, they are fighting not only in the Democratic Republic of Congo, but they are also fighting against the government of Uganda. And their largest faction has um, claimed that it is aligned to the ISIS, ISIS uh, so which basically make yes. them and a, a terrorist organization fighting against the government of Congo and other governments in the region, especially the government of, of Uganda. If you also look at the Red Tabara, which is also fighting against the Hutu-dominated government in Burundi. Yes. Uh, if you look at the M23 uh, rebels, they are fighting against the government of um, of, of, of the DRC, and they claim that they are protecting uh, the Tutsis from persecution and discrimination within the DRC. So the objectives are quite uh, desperate. They are different from one armed group to the other. 
but yes. they mainly fight against the Democratic Republic of Congo and against other governments in the region. Uh, we should look at, for example, the FGLR. It yes. is also not only fighting the DRC, it is also fighting against Rwanda. Yes, so that before we even go to talk about the international community, what is the African Union itself doing to resolve uh, this rather complex situation? Yes, the African Union is one of the major actors who are trying to bring uh, peace and security in the region. Uh, they've mainly supported the um, peace processes, especially through promoting negotiation between the government and these various, various groups, of course, supporting the East African community to make sure that uh, there, there, there is some form of negotiation between the government of DRC and these armed groups. So the, the, the East African community is, is at the center of trying to bring peace in the DRC with support, of course, from the African Union. There are already Kenyan forces in the DRC, but are they making any difference to the conflict? It is too early to try and you know, look at whether they are making any difference. They were just deployed in November 2022. So okay. it's just a few months into this deployment. We are still to see um, whether they are going to make any difference. There are challenges and, of, and opportunities for them to make differences. One of the challenges is, of course, the challenge of funding. Are they able to sustain the funding that is required for such a massive operation? And, of course, issues of what the mandate of this regional force is are very important because if it is not clearly defined, then they may end up taking up activities that may be seen as interfering in the internal affairs of the DRC. And this may cause conflict, especially between the forces and civilians. So we are yet to see what impact the deployment is going to have. Well, that's a good point. I mean, the UN stabilization mission has been there since 1999. I mean, that. Uh, Monosco has not done much really. I mean, what would what difference would the Kenyan forces make, given the fact yes, that the UN yeah. has, has more money than uh, the East African community to deal with these things? Yes, so I think it goes beyond the issue of money. The UN force in the DRC has not brought the expected impact, especially because we have seen an escalation of this conflict. We have seen more and more civilians being killed and displaced despite the presence of the UN in the DRC. So one of the major challenge that the UN mission is facing is actually a crisis of trust. The local communities have lost trust in the capacity of the UN mission to contain the conflict. Yes. We have seen uh, the local people uh, protesting actually against the UN you know, mission in the DRC. 
because of the belief that it has failed to bring peace and stability in the country, despite its presence in the country for so many years. Yes. So, so, so the, the, the challenge that the uh, East African community force has is also the question of legitimacy, the question of trust. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be able to gain the trust, especially of the local people? Okay, so that they can cooperate with the forces, they can work together with the forces because they trust that, you know, they are there for the good of the country. You know, because yes. one of the major problems is the belief that those forces are not there for the security of the DRC, but to promote the interests of powerful states. So, this is one of the challenges that the UN mission has been facing. And um, this African community needs to be able to deal with this perception, perception yes. that they may be there for promoting the interests of these countries that have deployed their forces in the DRC. Yes, in fact, even the UN soldiers, peacekeepers, have been shooting dead uh, civilians who are protesting. So this has created even more problems, isn't it? Yes, this is one of the major problems where the forces behave in the same way that some of these um, violent groups are behaving. Even if yes. you look at the DRC army itself, it has been accused of violating human rights in the process of trying to bring peace and stability. So it is very important that these forces that are in the DRC operate within the confines of international humanitarian law and international human rights law so that they do not violate civilians, so that they protect civilians. You said it, uh, international humanitarian law, but no one is telling these various groups that uh, they will face Crimes. I mean, that's the reason why they continue. If there are threats, serious threats, to take them to the International Criminal Court to set up uh, local courts in the region, then the things might change, don't you think? You know, Desmond, with armed groups, you know, normally the way armed groups operate is different from the way national armies operate or regional forces operate. National oh, of course. Regional yes. forces they are supposed to be guided by international human rights law and international uh, human rights law. But these armed groups, they don't observe international humanitarian law, they don't observe international human rights law. So it is quite uh, difficult when you are dealing with them. Of course, the consequences, you know, should be clearly spelled out that when you violate international human rights law and international humanitarian law, you must be made accountable for that. But yes. we are looking in a, at a context where, you know, the state is weak. Even those actors that have intervened, the UN force have failed, largely failed to bring stability. And we are seeing a situation where hardly nobody is brought to, to, to justice because of the violations that they are committing. So that gives them a sense of impunity that we can conduct these activities without being brought to justice. 
that, that's a very good point you've made because I mean the international community, the so-called international community, are hard on Russia uh, after its invasion of Ukraine about respect for international humanitarian law. So why why is the international community so relaxed about what's going on in the DRC? Yeah, at this point where we are, of course, most of the attention has been, you know, going towards, you know, Ukraine and, and, yes. and, and Russia, yes. you know, the attention has shifted. And if you look at also we are coming from the pandemic, you know, uh, COVID-19, where again, most of the resources and attention were directed towards the fight against uh, COVID-19. Yes. So the international community's interest in the DRC has been affected by those particular factors. But far from those factors, of course, generally, the interest in the DRC has been quite low. Um, of course, the, we have the UN uh, mission that has been there for, for years. But there's more that needs to be done if stability is going to be brought to the DRC. And one of the most important thing to do is to make sure that free and fair elections, for example, are conducted so that the government in the DRC is seen as a legitimate government and then capacitate the government to deliver services to the people, capacitate uh, security institutions especially the police force and the army in order to be able to provide security for the people. So the DRC is very rich in mineral resources, but it remains a country that is living in abject poverty with most of the people living in abject poverty. So there is a strong perception that the interest that the international community has in the DRC, especially individual countries, is to exploit the resources in the DRC and not necessarily to promote peace and security. That's a good point you've made because that's what I was going to say. I mean, it is easier for all these crooked uh, foreign exploiters to make use of the conflict and then keep stealing the natural resources of the yeah. DRC. Conflict actually allows cowboys to operate, don't you think? Yes, actually. So this conflict is actually a currency that is being used by, you know, some of the international, you know, actors in actors, order to yes. exploit resources from the DRC. So that's why it is important for African actors and institutions to play a leading role in the resolution of this particular crisis. So yes. the entrance of the East African community regional forces into the TRC could be a game changer if these forces are going to pursue the interests of the people of the Democratic Republic of Congo, as well as the interests of Africa in, 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 in general, so that there is peace in that particular region. But if we are going to see a situation where these African countries that are also now intervening are also doing so in order for them to promote their own interests, then it will become very difficult to resolve this situation. And of course, there have been, you know, 
accusations concerning the interests of you know, individual countries in the region, Rwanda, Uganda, and others in respect of the resources in the DRC. So the question is, are we going to see a situation where African actors, but especially the regional community, you know, is going to intervene in order to promote the interests of the Democratic Republic of Congo and not to promote their own interests. That is something that is a huge challenge. And hopefully uh, we are going to see um, these actors that are intervening, pursuing the interests of the Congo and not necessarily their own interests. It is indeed, because during the recent uh, US-Africa Leaders Summit, the American government said that it will help the DRC and uh, Zambia to maximize their natural resources and help them to set up a value chain whereby they can use the natural resources to make uh, batteries for electric cars, which, which is a good uh, step rather than just selling raw material. But do you think this will work in that conflict region? Will they be able to have this value chain whereby they can produce these batteries for electric cars when there's chaos? Yes, so there are quite a number of problems. So the first problem, as you are saying, Desmond, is the problem of insecurity. So yes. where there, there is insecurity, of course, business is affected, growth, development, you know, gains are, are reversed in such situations. So that's number one. Number two, the question of capacity, which is very, very important. Does the DRC have that particular capacity? This is what Africa has always needed to do in, to make sure that the continent benefits from its resources. And this starts with converting our natural resources into products and then exporting them as products and not as natural resources. But the challenge is that the capacity to do that is weak. And the very forces that are saying that, you know, there's need for Africans to convert their raw materials into finished products, they are the very forces that also undermine that capacity, that also, you know, play games that make it difficult for Africa to be able to achieve that. So I would doubt the sincerity of such statements, especially when they come from, um, from the West. Well, the Americans have said that they, they provide funding or they provide the expertise to make it work. So why don't we give them a chance, the Americans? Because funny enough, no matter what you say about uh, the US, when it comes to fighting corruption and uh, the undemocratic processes, the Americans, are more stringent about it than, than Western Europeans, don't you agree? Look here, uh, Desmond, we are talking about, you know, powerful states and especially their interest in Africa. Yes. And if you have observed that in, you know, in recent times, especially after the outbreak of the war in Ukraine, yes. there is a scramble for Africa that has been taking place which focuses on number one, promoting 
each country's dominance over African affairs, especially political and economic, with the objective to exploit the resources of Africa. So we need to be very careful even where and when Western states say, we want to support you to do this, okay? Yes. We have to still be very analytical and critical because there is a fight, there is a scramble for influence over Africa. The West wants to enhance its dominance or influence, especially fighting against the influence of China, fighting against yes. the influence of Russia in Africa. So. Now, Africa is at the center of this fight between these actors. So in international politics, obviously, you know, actors who come with certain proposals that appears to be intended to improve the realities of Africa. But the end of the game is that they will end up taking more than they can give to, to Africa. So we need to awake to those realities. And now, what, what, you see, that's my point. I mean, during the colonial days, the colonialists used divide and rule to conquer Africa. So why don't Africans use this same policy of divide and rule among these various foreign actors and make the most out of it? Yeah. Don't, you, Af don't you think Africans are strong enough to make use of this conflict among these foreign powers to develop the continent? They can do that, number one, if they know what they want, not only as individual nations, but yes. as a continent. Yes. So that's where it should start from. Does Africa know what it wants? Good point. Very good point. Yes. That's number one. Number two, are we united to pursue what we want? So if you look at the history of relations between Africa and the international community, you realize that the international community has always favored to relate with Africa as individual countries or as small groups. Because when you relate with the international community or with powerful countries and organizations such as the European Union, the United yes. States, you need to do so as a united front so that you can galvanize your power and your influence to get what you want. But the West has been dividing and you know, ruling. The West has been putting Africa in individuals and you know, small groups and negotiate with them. I'll give an example of the economic partnership agreements where the yes. Union will put these African countries in this particular group and those African countries in that particular group and negotiate with them on that basis. Yes. So unless Africa unites and then negotiate with these actors as a united front, that will be difficult to achieve. In fact, the African continental free trade area, we are hoping will change things. But what I've seen so far in the last two years is people buying stuff from say, Dubai or China to sell across borders. But that's not what the, the free trade area is supposed to do. It's supposed to enhance manufacturing on the continent so that we can provide goods for the continent and sell to each other. Isn't, isn't that the case? Rather than buying and selling from uh, foreign countries. Yes, that should be the case. Yes. Now, 
the case should be allowing the movement of people and goods in the continent, the free movement of people and goods in the continent. So you cannot talk about free trade when there are barriers in terms of the movement of people and goods within the continent. So we still have a lot of barriers in terms of the movement of people and goods within the continent that hampers trade within the continent, okay? And that's why we see that trade, most of the trade happens, you know, across and not within the continent. People yeah. buying from other continents and not necessarily from within Africa. So we need to dismantle these barriers that we have in terms of immigration policies, you know, in terms of our borders must be symbolic, must not um, act as barriers that are stopping the movement of an African from one country to another country, the movement of goods from one African country to another country. So we need to put more effort towards dismantling these barriers so that we can enable the free movement of people and goods within uh, the country. Yeah, actually, that's another good point you made because there's a meeting taking place now in Addis Ababa where African businesswomen are complaining about the harassment and discrimination that they face at border posts, you know. The meeting is called Gender is My Agenda, you know. So, I mean, yeah, that's the problem because, I mean, African women do a lot of trading on the continent, but they do face a lot of hardship along land borders, don't they? Yes, they do face a lot of hardships. And in most cases, they have to, you know, to pay bribes in order for them to be... There's able... also sexual, sexual harassment too. Yes, there's sexual harassment, yes. you know, that comes with that. Yes. So as long as we have those particular barriers within the continent, then this idea of free trade within the continent, this idea of unity, this idea yes. of our capacity to compete with other civilizations yes. becomes a very difficult idea. Yes, going back to the DRC, is the government in control really in the Eastern region or there's no government control there? The government is overwhelmed by these armed so actors that are operating. It doesn't exercise its authority in the Eastern region. Yes, so the authority of government is very minimal. The government is not visible. So this space that the government is not able to occupy is now being occupied by armed groups. The yes. reason why these armed groups are thriving is because the state and its institutions are hardly visible in Eastern uh, DRC. And that leaves a lot of gaps which are now being exploited by these armed groups. And, and because of that, the citizens in such context, they, they have a sense that we are on our own. The government is not there. We cannot be protected by the government. So in some cases, they are forced to comply with what they are told to do by these groups. Yes. So we need to see the government being able to take its authority in these particular areas. Okay, so that's why it is important for the international community, especially uh, the East African community, to help the government in the DRC to build its capacity 
to manage the country, not only in terms of providing security, but actually in terms of providing services. So the problem is that the government is focusing on using force in order to try and bring uh, peace and security in these areas. But that alone is not going to uh, bring peace and security. What is going to ultimately bring peace and security in the DRC is the capacity of the government to provide for the people, to build institutions that are strong and credible, that deliver on the aspirations of the people of the DRC. You are listening to Talking Africa on the ALC Pan-African Radio. Stay tuned. Uh, welcome back. I'm Desmond Davis, and my guest today is Dr. Moses Topher, Senior Research Associate at the African Leadership Center in Nairobi, where he leads the research agenda on peace, security, and the state in Africa. We have been discussing the conflict in the Democratic Republic of Congo and the regional aspect of all this. Now, uh, Moses, Rwanda is very, very critical to the, the whole conflict in DRC, well, in, in the eastern region. Why is that? Yes, the main reason is that Rwanda accuses the DRC of supporting the FDLR, which is fighting against Rwanda, to Mm. the extent that Rwanda believes that this armed group has been actually incorporated into the army of the DRC. And, and the FDR is uh, it's a Hutu rebel movement that was implicated in the 1994 genocide, wasn't it? Yes, it's a remnant of the of the of the Hutu, um, you know, militias yes. that were responsible yes. for the for the genocide. Yes, they are now fighting within DRC, and Rwanda yes. believes that they have the backing of the DRC government. Yes. So Rwanda believes that because of that, it has the right to enter into the DRC and fight against the DRC because the DRC is supporting the enemy of Rwanda. And on the other hand, DRC accuses Rwanda of supporting the M23, which is Tutsi-led, which is claiming to be fighting in order to protect the interests of the Tutsis in the DRC. So both of these countries are accusing each other of supporting rebel groups, essentially. So when will Africa resolve the basic problem, that of tribal animosity? That's the main problem of Africa, isn't it? Yes, but this problem has long roots. It's not a problem that is superficial. It's a problem that dates back to uh, the colonial times. If you look at how the colonial administrations, you know, treated Africans, you know, they treated them on the basis, you know, of issues such as their ethnicity, favoring these ethnic groups against that ethnic groups, you know, and so this is a, a problem that is rooted in the history of colonial subjugation in Africa. And it's not a problem that can be dealt with, with, with overnight. It is a problem that needs to be dealt with through building institutions that are independent, that are inclusive, so that people can not 
look at themselves and others through the lens of their ethnicity or the lens of the region where they come from or, or yeah. any other factors you know that 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 may divide people so that's the best way to deal with these issues of ethnicity building inclusive institutions institutions that cater for the interests of people across ethnicity, across regions, and across gender and other factors. Yeah, I mean, that's the main problem. How do we, okay, you, you mentioned inclusivity, but the point is people are just so stubborn. They are stuck in the ways, in the tribal roots. They just don't won't give up. Look at Nigeria. The Igbos are still fighting for an independent state all over the continent. Eritrea, I mean, in uh, Tigre, we have the same problem. How will Africa overcome these divisions that are holding the continent back, apart from inclusivity and all that sort of thing? The best way to overcome these challenges for Africa is unity. I think that's, that's, that's why, you know, people like Kwame Nkrumah yes. emphasized the importance of unity in Africa. Because all these issues of ethnicity, you know, the regions that are marginalized, and because of that marginalization, you know, there's conflict, and these conflicts, you know, erupt into wars and all that. What Africa needs is unity. And this unity has to be multidimensional and multi-level. It should not be only at the community level. It should be at community level. It goes up to the highest level, especially to the regional level. So organizations now such as the African Union, ECOWAS, SADAC, East African Community, these are the organizations that should be at the forefront in terms of promoting unity and dismantling you know, these divisions between Africans establishing you know policies that eradicate these these divisions but we have fantastic normative frameworks even at regional level but the problem is that we are not pro properly implementing these particular normative frameworks so yes. these divisions remain in place well, of course i mean create creating nation states in africa where people have a common interest in the nation will take a long time because I mean, this was the situation in Europe too. What we're witnessing in Africa, the tribes fighting all over the place, but eventually they created the nation state with a common heritage. Do you see that being possible in Africa in the long run? Will we, will we get to that state by 2063? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say that I don't see that happening uh, in Africa. And this is a very, concerning and painful reality yes. in the continent. Why yes. is that not happening or why I don't see this happening is because, you know, for this to happen, there is need for Africans across the continent to have what I call a big myth in which they believe in. Yes. Okay. This is the big myth that we believe in as Africans. This is what we want as Africans. We want to unite. We want our continent to prosper. And these are the steps that we are going to take in order to get to this big myth, in order to get to the mountain top. So 
as long as that is happening, then there are chances that we are able or we can be able to do that. But yeah. that is not happening. We are moving towards different directions, be it at national and at, at regional levels. We yeah. are not speaking the same language. We, 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 we fight over a lot of issues. Yes, in any community, people will always disagree, but yeah, you need to have certain fundamentals on which you agree on to say yeah. we differ on these issues, but we converge on these pillars, on these principles, on these values. So at the present moment, we as a continent are not converging on particular values that can make that happen. So it is very, it is very, very difficult. We talk about African solutions to African problems, but yes. even to define that, we differ. Some say we as Africans should uh, work on our own without interference from other nations. Others say, no, we cannot do it on our own. We need other nations to help us. So we, we, we don't agree on certain values and principles. Even where sometimes we may agree, we don't implement them um, in the right spirit. You know, we just um, want to be seen as doing certain things, but we, we are not doing that in reality. We speak about silencing the guns, but the guns are actually ringing louder and louder, okay? So, so as long as we don't come to a position where we converge on certain values and principles and pursue them, with a sincere spirit, I don't see this happening either in the near future or even in the distant future. Yes, because your research also deals on peace and security. The problem is African countries don't manufacture these small arms and light weapons. So why do they proliferate on the continent? They are a huge business. Yeah, exactly. Because you see, I mean, silencing the guns cannot, the guns cannot be silenced if the weapons keep coming in from outside. Yes, it's a huge problem because it's a big business. Remember we talked yes. about the conflict in the DRC being a, a, a big business for yes. you know, yes. international you know, actors. Yes. Africa does not manufacture these guns, but we see these guns proliferating in the region, especially because our borders are also porous. It is yes. difficult sometimes to track them where are they really coming from? Who is bringing those, you know, small arms and light weapons in the continent? For what reason? Okay, so we need to be able as, as Africa to make sure that we tighten our borders. We, we also tighten our, our legislations and especially implementing them to make sure that we don't see these light weapons and small arms flooding the you know, going into the wrong hands. Well, then of course, I mean, the UN has this big organization of uh, disarmament and what have you, but uh, how effective is it in Africa itself, the UN Office for Disarmament? Yes, so it, it does not start with disarmament. That's the problem. So if mm -hmm. you are disarming uh, people, for example, but yes. in the same context where you are pursuing disarmament, there is raging conflict. In the context where you are taking steps to disarm 
armed groups. The poorer the borders are porous. There are people who are supplying weapons. You cannot stop the movement of weapons into the hands of people who can use those weapons to commit violent acts. So you yes. are necessarily, you are not doing anything. So the whole issue comes back to the question of the state and its institutions. A state that is credible, a state that is strong, a state that is seen to be delivering the needs and aspirations of the people. So as long as that is not resolved, disarmament becomes a future exercise. Yeah, so even the, the failure of the state really boils down to the poor uh, leadership on the continent, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And, and these are old hands who should now step from power and let young people do it. But look at Nigeria, three people who are past their sell by date and they're still vying to become president. So how will the young people get the benefit uh, to, to start leading, uh, helping to, to move the continent forward? How do we do it? Uh, first, uh, Desmond, I, I would dispute the idea that being a young person makes somebody an effective leader. Okay? Um, well, no, I, 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 I acknowledge I the idea that old people, these leaders are too old to be effective in those official positions, and they must give young people you know, the chance to occupy these spaces. But being young in itself is not an idea. It is not an ideology. It is not something that makes somebody effective. So we must talk especially about the quality of the young people whom we have in the continent. If they are to assume these spaces today, are they going to be able you know, to deliver? And, and, and something that uh, concerns me in this age is the progressive loss of consciousness, especially among young people, okay? Indeed, yes. So we need the young people that is conscious, young people who are skilled, young people who are capable. That's why I think, you know, institutions as, as the African Leadership Center are necessary in order to train these young people so that if they are placed in those spaces, then they can become, you know, uh, uh, good leaders. But yes, for sure. Yes, you're absolutely right, because that's the point. I mean, these young people, you and I, when we were growing up 50s and 60s, we saw leaders with integrity. Well, these young people don't see any of the leaders with integrity. So that's the reason why they think that's what politics is all about, isn't it? Yes, so you see, that's, that's the problem that now, you know, access to political and other high-ranking offices is now regarded as a means, you know, for self-aggrandizement. Yeah. So if you look at the, at the society in which these old leaders emerged, the values were quite good, okay? Yes. Getting into an office, you know, was not seen as a means for personal aggrandizement. If you look at the reason why uh, people went to, you know, to war when the liberation struggles were fought, the yes, value yes. was that we need to liberate ourselves from yes. the chains of colonialism and mm -hmm. make sure that we empower ourselves you know, as Africans. But these values have been, you know, depleting over the years. 
and uh, it is a huge challenge. So we may have young people in these positions of influence, but it does not necessarily mean that we may witness a transformation. So yes. what is important is the quality, is the fiber with which the young people are made. We need young people who are conscious, young people who have values of integrity, values you know, of, of inclusivity, of fairness, you yes. know, young people who are visionary. Yes, finally, uh, coming back to the Rwanda refugee issue. You see, I mean, the Rwandan government signed an agreement with the UK last year to take in refugees from the UK. It hasn't happened yet. But uh, Rwanda is also involved in creating a refugee situation in the Congo. So how, how do you see this sort of contradiction? I listened to an interview that was conducted with um, the Rwandan president, and that issue was raised that why did Rwanda sign this, you know, agreement? Yes. Uh, and, and his argument was that Rwanda is trying to solve uh, a problem that the international community is facing, but other countries are not, you know, taking that uh, that space, what they are doing is to criticize Rwanda and say that Rwanda is, is doing this in order for it to pursue its own interests. So from the perspective of Rwanda, they are trying to solve a problem that the world is facing. Uh, but coming to a point that why is Rwanda doing this? At the same time, Rwanda is accused of this you know, of Britain refugees in the DRC by supporting M23. Yes, so I mean, it remains controversial because Rwanda, even though, you know, the research from experts has alleged that Rwanda is supporting M23. The UN expert group on Congo says that they've got evidence. Yes, they said they have evidence, but Rwanda continues to say that they are not supporting the M23. Yes. They are saying that their only concern is that they are facing security threats that are coming from the FDLR, which is based in the DRC with the support of the DRC government. So that yes. is not going to be, to be resolved in terms of, you know, definitely saying that Rwanda is supporting the uh, M23. Rwanda is going to continue to maintain that we are not supporting the M23. In actual fact, Rwanda accuses the DRC of displacing the, especially the Tutsis in the DRC yes. and wanting them to come back to Rwanda and make them refugees, yet they were born and bred in the DRC. Mm -hmm. So Rwanda is actually saying this DRC is the one that is actually uh, creating a refugee crisis. Yeah. Yes, yes. yeah, because there are 70,000 Congolese refugees in Rwanda. Kagame was saying earlier this year that he's not going to take any more uh, of these refugees. Yes, so he's saying DRC is dumping Congolese refugees in Rwanda. Rwanda and yes. He's saying we don't want that. These are Congolese citizens who should be in Congo and who should be the responsibility of the Congolese government. But the Congolese government does not want them. It wants them to go to Rwanda, thereby creating a refugee crisis. 
So as long as, you know, there's this fight between these two countries and, you know, accusations and counter accusations, it remains a very complicated problem. Mm. So in short, what, what's the way forward then? It's a very complicated problem, isn't it? Yes. So the way forward is that the regional community, you know, especially the East African community should play a central role, especially in diffusing tensions between Rwanda and the DRC through mediation, okay, negotiations and all that. And then on the other hand, they also should play a leading role in promoting dialogue between the government of the DRC and these various armed groups. There have been peace processes taking place, but they've been affected by a number of challenges and including the challenge of excluding some of the armed groups from these you know, negotiations. So there's need for comprehensive negotiations mm-hmm. uh, uh, led by the regional community, especially the East African community, with the help of the African Union, SADC, and other you know, regional organizations and international actors in order yeah. to, to bring peace. Because, yes, we have the East African community you know, as a force in DRC, but that conflict is not going to be resolved only by military means. There is need to be parallel processes, especially, you know, negotiations and building the capacity of the DRC government to deliver services to its people. Dr. Moses Tofo, Senior Research Associate of the African Leadership Center in Nairobi, where he leads the research agenda on peace, security and the state in Africa. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Talking Africa and ALC Pan-African Radio. For these and other programs, please visit our website at alcpanafricanradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Radio ALC and on Facebook at African Leadership Center. For feedback on this and other programs, please send an email to info at africanradio.com.